Paul. And I'm Grant. Uh, before we get started, as always, the plugs. Now, firstly, we actually uh, want to give a shout out to Enable West. Enable West uh, shared our podcast on the Instagram feed, which is lovely of them. Enable West is a not-for-profit organization who supports people uh, with a disability. So go Enable West. Please follow suit and do what they do by sharing uh, our posts on your Instagram feed or on your Facebook feed. Make sure you follow us at The Atypical Rainbow on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to check out our old episodes because there's some pretty good ones uh, back there. I mean, I think we're doing getting better and better as we go along, but, you know, had to start somewhere. Find us on the Acast website and just search for The Atypical Rainbow. So, now to the good stuff. Today's uh, episode is in the series, The Rainbow Dissection. The topic... Uh, the tokenism trap. Okay, so one of the reasons I thought this might be an interesting topic was a few years ago, I was talking to a parent of a trans child uh, who was part of a group, and at that time, there was a stage show, Matilda, which I had seen shortly before then. And she was saying that one of the other parents of a trans child had said they took their trans child to Matilda and there'd been something that was a bit iffy. And I thought, oh, I wonder what that would be, having already seen it. And I thought, oh, I wonder if it's the fact that the villain of the stage show, Matilda, is a man in drag playing a female character. Uh, which is true of a couple different musicals, including Matilda being one of them. But in Matilda, the what could be mistaken as a trans woman is the villain, as opposed to Hairspray, which is probably one of the other famous examples of this where the what could be mistaken as the trans woman is the mum and she's really cool and funny and a good guy. It turned out that wasn't the case. It was actually... A, what they were talking about was a point earlier in Matilda where she's born and the dad is so sure that it's going to be a boy that he basically says, a boy with no thingy when he sees her naked. Mm. And that was actually what... The trans parent was commenting on. Right. But it did, it, like, my first thought was, what would a trans person be offended by this? Oh, probably the fact that the villain could be mistaken as a trans woman. So it made me think over the years, a number of times, when there's been a single example of a minority, specifically, I notice when it's a, you know, a gay person or a trans person. And therefore, because there's only one example of it within the work, anything that is true of that character in a way seems to be saying that about the entire group. So if your villain is your only gay character, if everyone else is straight except for your villain, or your villain is trans. I did read a book where the villain, there was a murder mystery, and the murderer turned out to be trans, and the only trans character in the entire book is the murderer. Mm. You could have go, okay, is this actually good representation? Like, you included a trans person, but they're the murderer. And I know that there's been a lot of controversy about possibly an upcoming or possibly a recently released J.K. Rowling book written under the name Robert Galbraith that maybe there's transphobia by having a trans character. I've not read the book, so I don't know yet. Mm. But well, with we J.K. Rowling history, Rowling. I mean, that's... Yeah, there's the risk that that's actually might be true and potentially deliberate. Yes. So it's a bit it's a bit unclear about whether this has become a thing because she's been controversial or would have been a thing anyway. 
Yeah, I'm, like, it's tricky because obviously we we want to see more inclusion of rainbow, people in the, in the rainbow. I, as a writer of any medium, would find it really difficult to know how to find that balance because on the one hand, being inclusive, I think, is really important, but you want to make sure that how you represent them is as sort of balanced as possible. You don't necessarily want their sexuality to be the entirety of their identity, but at the same time, does that mean that you just ignore it? Like, do you just sort of not make a point of it or not draw the drama from it? Or do you make a point of it and then potentially go down the road of telling a story in a way that may not be reflective of everyone's experience or may potentially even be offensive? And therefore, was the inclusion really worth it if the depiction was negative. I think that's that's the challenge uh, of the writer there, to try and figure out the, the balance of that. Like, I remember um, there was a sitcom called Happy Endings, and one of the... There was a sort of a Friends, you know, knockoff, and one of the six characters was a, a gay man, um, but he was the least stereotypically homosexual man you could imagine. and But that was a constant part of it, a constant joke. They kept joking that he just didn't uh, sort of behave in the way that the other people were expecting him because he was gay. And in a way, you kind of go, well, yes, because not every gay person is flamboyant or effeminate. But at the same time, does that mean that because he doesn't necessarily represent you know, uh, the, the every kind of gay person, does that mean he's not good enough as a character? Are you saying that they're sort of saying that the good type of gay is the one that can pass? I'm not sure. I mean, I don't think they ever made that message per se, but that's that's the challenge though, isn't it? I'm not sure they were trying to send any sort of message. I mm. think they were just saying, well, not every gay person is the one you expect. He's not the sex in the city, whatever character's name was, who walks around in pink ties and flops his wrist about. Yeah. So is that necessarily a good thing or not? Because there are you know, effeminate gay men and that's that's their identity and they love themselves and they should love themselves. But, you know, is you know, ha- at what point do we kind of go, well, how do you balance it out? How do you know the way... As you said, when you only have the one gay character, is that enough? Does that mean, therefore, you need to include a multitude of gay characters in order to make sure you depict, you know, everyone and every, yeah. every kind of personality type? Once again, remembering that sexuality is just an element of someone's personality, but then... We always tie it back to sexuality, don't we? Well, yeah. And I guess if they, they're given the gay storylines, then it kind of does become their, like what they are there about. Mm. Like, I imagine with a show like Degrassi, like the gay kid gets all the gay storylines because that's the type of show Degrassi is. Yes, that's true. Whereas I think, like, obviously shows that have multiple gay people, like Will and Grace or Queer as Folk, show a spectrum of different gay behaviours. Yes. Um, so, I think I think in the previous episode we compared Jack and Will and Grace to... I can't remember his name, but the gay guy in prom. And it's like, yeah. if you Barry. have Barry in isolation as the only gay person... Then admittedly there was lesbians, but the only gay man... Yeah. Then him being stereotypical kind of sends a different message to the exact same behaviour when surrounded by other gay characters who aren't acting stereotypically. I hadn't really thought of it like that, but you're right. That's, um, that's very true. Mm. 
Um, and I think, look, a lot of there are a lot of shows out there that are getting becoming increasingly diverse when it comes to gender and sexuality. So I think Euphoria is certainly one of them. Generations, one that's just come out on Apple TV recently, um, that you know t- sort of focuses a lot on youth culture and about but about uh, these issues in a really diverse kind of way. And so in in their situations, I think it doesn't. Even though there are certain stereotypical characters, they don't feel like they stand out because they're part mm. of a, a full, yeah, the full rainbow of everyone, every kind of personality type that they can be. Yeah, and Sex Education is another one which started with two gay characters, but by the end there was four prominent gay characters, I'd say. Mm. And once again, a spectrum of gay characters and gay character behaviour. See, I, I, I love Eric from Sex Education. Like, he's just, he's one of my favourite characters. And yeah, okay, he likes to, um, he, he likes to dress up in bright clothing and he, um, he's a very dramatic kind of person. But I don't know, I find that he feels really human to me. Like, mm. there's, there's nothing, like, even though, yes, okay, he is gay and yes, he has these kinds of traits... For me, and I, I don't, I'm not 100% sure why, I don't think it defines him, but maybe it's just, the, like, yeah, it's the writing. I think sometimes really good writing can just make you think of um, people as people. And Well, yeah, like, he's not just the gay best friend. Yes. Like, there, there is sort of the, there is another gay character who kind of is that sort of mean girl gay best friend type. Yes. Um, but that's a, that's a more minor character, whereas Eric is a major character and therefore does feel like a fully realised realised three-dimensional character. Mm. And the fact that there's both of them can exist in the same show rather than tokenism where there'd only be one of them yeah. means that you're like, okay, you're not... These are individuals rather than this is the representation of the gay community. Mm. See, that's hard then because, I'd, like, uh, if I were pitching a TV show to to a network, right, at what point does it become a show about rainbow people? Like, yeah, okay, if you want it to be reflective of society, you should be including a lot of different people. But at what point does it tip over into the L word or queer as folk? Um, or, or, yeah, again, Generation Euphoria, I think there's a lot of talk about the the sexual diversity. Mm-hmm. Where is the line? Does Or does there have to be a line, I guess, is the next question. Yeah. I guess it doesn't really have to be a line. I, things can kind of just be what they are. Because, like, Will and Grace, I think a lot of people think of it as a show about gay characters, but that's only half of the main cast. Mm. Um, there's a lot of stuff about gay society because the two female leads, even though they are heterosexual women, there's a bit of the fag-hags type storyline going around them. Mm. Um, so, yeah, in a way, I guess even though it is a 50-50 split people still think that 50% representation is enough to make it a gay show. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, I guess the representation in sex education, it's not 50%. Like, it's not 50% gay, 50% straight, and therefore doesn't become a gay show. Mm. Which, I guess, in all fairness, a 50% gay cast, 50% straight cast, doesn't actually represent society because it's not a 50-50 split. No. (laughs) No. A 50% female, 50% male cast doesn't yes. represent society. Yeah. But yeah, if, if like half your cast was, say, trans, that's a lot more than the actual percentage in, in society. Yeah. So I guess you would be labelled a trans show. Well, yeah, I think, I believe Pose is one of those kinds of shows as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
I guess I guess again the question is why does the classification matter? Because I do that instinctively. Like, I know, so I'm not challenging you on it because you're not doing the doing the classification. But I, like an example, I'd probably give is okay. Sense eight, mm. eight main leads, one trans. Yep. Not a trans show. Yes. But all, yeah, but Sensei does. You know what it is though. I think the thing about Sensei that I think that has in, I think has in common with sex education is there is an element of sexual liberal liberalism. Mm-hmm. I think that to both of them. So um, for those of you who haven't watched Sensei, um, it is very good, and maybe we can talk about that. Uh, you know, as part of our AIAV club, because <laughs> uh, we I, might just rewatch it if we did. Uh, I would. I would not be against rewatching it, but. You know, Sensei, I think Sensei had a lot of nudity, had a lot of sex scenes, mm-hmm. and I think there's this just, I mean, even though it was actually mainly a sci-fi show, it was just a very interesting sci-fi show, um, but it did have a lot of that sexual diversity and really that kind of freedom of expression about sexuality, which I think in a way in, kind of opens the door to that conversation, to the idea that, yes, okay, we're open to everything, so that's what you should expect from the show. So Mm. that would include diverse gender, diverse sexuality, you know, uh, freedom of expression of of nudity and, you know, body positivity, and um, so it all kind of comes along with that, you know? Mm. So sex education, I mean, it's in the title, right? Like, it's, it's the idea, it's it's talking about, um, you know, teenagers and how they learn about sex and... Um, and relationships and all that kind of stuff, and it talks about it in a very open kind of way. Uh, you know, the main there's a villain in sex education who is the prude, who just is trying to suppress all the conversation. So I think in a, I think that's probably might be the difference is that if you have, let's say like a, like NCIS, right, mm-hmm. generic procedural cop show, if they happen to include a uh, trans, uh, gay, you know, anyone in the LGBTQIA plus kind of rainbow, if they had a character like that, how they deal with it would be interesting because either they'd make a point of it mm-hmm. or they would go breeze past it. And I think either way might actually be a bad thing. But, like, does that therefore mean they shouldn't bother at all? Yeah. I guess the worst version would probably be like what we were talking about in our music review of the almost, you're not a character, you're just... A MacGuffin. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I think, you know, the black best friend who's only around to give advice, or the gay best friend who's only around to give advice. Yeah. Or the, you know, trans character who's only there for people to learn how to be accepting. Mm. <laughs> would probably... Like, they're not even characters, which means it would be probably bad representation. I don't imagine NCIS would do that. I don't know. Maybe they just have a black person whose job it is to make witty comments once per episode. <laughs> I don't. I don't watch it. I'm still too young by about thirty years. So just well, that. let's don't like in procedurals. You do watch. <laughs> yeah, in procedural, I do watch. Admittedly, I haven't watched a procedural in ages, but because I was uh, big on procedurals in sort of the the two thousands and the twenty tens, mm. um, and you know they were still having a predominantly white cast. So really, diversity wasn't a big um, motivator for them when it came to casting. Occasionally, you had your very special episode, yes. Yeah. But for the most part, yeah, they were all just straight white people. <laughs> Maybe the occasional Asian person. <laughs> I feel like there was a f- quite a few, like, tough black female bosses. Yeah. Uh, yes. Like, um, what was Blind, Blind Spot? Spot? Blind Spot um, had some black female bosses. Dexter? Boxes. Yes. Well, she wasn't black. She was Latina. Oh, Latina. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, yes, true. There, there was a lot of that, but again, I, I don't know how much of a deal was made of those sorts of things. Admittedly, actually, now that you mentioned Blindspot, because you wouldn't have watched it, but um, that, you know, the, the head of the FBI or whatever, she turned out to be gay too. Oh, there you go. So she was, she was the perfect minority pot. She was Tough black, women female, and gay. <laughs> there we go. They've ticked all their boxes in the one character. Everyone else allowed to be white and straight. Yes. Yay. Sounds good. That's how the world works. <laughs> I mean, the, um, the the other thing to think about, because uh, I, I think you've talk, mentioned some examples before, I don't think on the podcast, is the idea about gay villains, right? Yes. Because I don't, I don't see it that much. And as a writer, I would be really hesitant to write a gay villain. Because on the one hand, inclusion, yay. But on the other hand, is that necessarily how you want to have... Again, maybe your only gay character falling into the tokenism trap. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, what is the risk there? So is it understanding and open to have a gay character who happens to be the villain? Or is it feeding into the narrative of homophobic people to go, yes, the villain is a gay guy. Woo. You know yeah. I mean? It is hard when, like, your only gay character is a villain. Yeah. Like... And, and I think uh, traditionally it was more gay coding of characters that were the villains, mm-hmm. like Ursula from Little Mermaid being based on a drag queen. Mm-hmm. I think more recently people are more open about gay characters kind of being gay rather than just coding them gay. So there was a book series I remember I was reading reviews of it, and they're like, "There's gay characters in this. This is disgusting." And I'm like, "Well, yeah, this is like the 16th book. <laughs> they're like the first gay characters." And they're villains. Mm. So, I'm not sure what you're upset about. Yep. There's some very interesting... Another review that really sticks out to me was um, a person who complained that they're reading a book in the first person and halfway through it turned out the main character was gay. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no there's no indication the main character was straight. It yep. just Defined. wasn't mentioned for the first half of the book. And they're like, it just... I like to be, like, in their head... And now I can't be in their head. I'm like, okay, that sounds like a majority person reading. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure women who, you know, enjoy medieval fantasy constantly read first-person men. Mm-hmm. But I guess maybe you know when you go into it. And I don't know, I didn't have the opposite reaction of going, oh, I'm reading about a straight person, therefore I can't relate to them. Halfway through the book, oh, now I can magically relate to this person. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do question whether that's just some sort of um, privilege position yeah. that leads to that sort of thing. There are a I'm lot not trying of... to be too judgmental of random people on the internet making comments about things. Yeah, but most people who make comments generally are complainers who want to be heard. <laughs> uh, there were some good reviews too. Yeah, I guess. I may just purposely read the one-star reviews because I'm interested to see what people complain about. That's fair. That's fair. I, and you're obviously more open to those sort of negative reviews than I am. I read them and I'm like, oh, people are dumb, and then I just kind of move <laughs> on. See, that that opens up a sort of a broader topic about sort of uh, fiction and perspective because, you know, um, as a gay person reading a lot, you know, a lot of different first-person fiction, we're just kind of like, oh, yeah, this is a straight character. Cool. So be it. Like, it's it's not something that necessarily I know I personally don't react to. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, I hear often of straight people going, oh, I can't relate to this gay person. Like, well... Them being gay is not the entirety of their identity. Can you identify with the fact that they're having some 
you know, relationship turmoil? Can you identify with the fact that they're fighting goblins? Like, it just... It's not about the gayness. But mm. for whatever reason, it's the thing that people seem to fixate on. Sorry, I say people. I mean straight people um, who want to complain about things seem to fixate on that automatically if they feel like there's this barrier... Uh, that, that sort of pops up all of a sudden as soon as they discover a character is gay because they just decide that they can't possibly understand. Yeah. Whereas if that character is casting magic spells, that's fine. They just... They completely relate to that. Right? <laughs> exactly. It's it's such a bizarre um, dichotomy. Uh, I don't know why they do it. Maybe we have to get a majority member on to have a discussion with us and yeah. explain it to us. No, I think, I think too many of our friends are... Um, to make myself sound super old, woke. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I, I think a lot of our friends would probably go, yeah, we don't get it either. <laughs> Maybe. Or they just say that. <laughs> yeah, because they, they're like most of us. Most of parts of our personality, but that bit they choose to ignore. No, no. I mean, and also, they, they wouldn't say they were... They, you know, they wouldn't say they hate gay people. That would be a bit of a weird thing to suddenly admit. <laughs> um, but they might, they might, I don't know, be feel like they're woke, but still kind of privileged. Because it's hard to know your privilege. Yes, yeah, that is certainly true. And and you know, as I tick most of the boxes to be a member of the majority, so I still have quite a bit of privilege. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, indeed. So one of the things I do sometimes worry about is that someone's going to look at my work and they're going to see things in it that aren't there. Mm. Like I might be seeing things in other people's work that isn't there. So I, I think it can be very hard to know what to do about that? Like, if you feel like someone's making some weird statements using tokenism, like, do you judge them? So one of the, one of the things that, like, the book I was recently working on, one of the main characters is asexual. And I saw a review for a different book where someone was talking about the fact that the more sexual a character was, the more evil they were in this book. And I'm like, oh, I wonder if people will think that about my book just by the fact that my asexual character is a good guy. They're like, oh, good. Like, he's saying sexuality is a bad thing and, you know, asexuality is a positive thing. Mm. So this this person is, you know, the virgin stereotype, (laughs) pure and virginal, just because they're asexual and therefore read into what I'm writing things that aren't there. Yes. But that, that, I mean, that, that highlights two things. One, all art is up for interpretation and you can't Mm. dictate how people interpret art, which is kind of frustrating because in this day and age of, you know, instant comments and and quick judgments, it's really easy for people to jump on something going, why didn't you do this well enough when you're like, but that wasn't what I was trying to do. And it's not to say what they read into it um, was necessarily inaccurate, but it wasn't necessarily the intent. Like, they kind of put their own meaning into it, which we all do. Like, mm. that's the beauty of, of cr- the creative arts, is that you find your own meaning in what you read, what you look at, what you listen to. You know, not some people will have shared experiences, but they're not necessarily the exact same experience, because their experiences are influenced by a history. Yeah. And the second thing is that it inherently shows a misunderstanding of what asexuality is. Asexuality isn't virginity like it's they're two vastly different things so in a way you know you want people to be educated or better educated about asexuality um so that 
perhaps they understand the intent a bit more. Admittedly, you know, it, it would look like a bit of an info dump in your book if you're like, this is what asexuality is. By the way, you you know what we're talking about, that when I, by, when I say I'm asexual, that means this. Like, it, just, it would look a bit funny. Yeah, I don't think I even used the term. I just yeah. write the character as they are. Which is, you know, the 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 crux of good writing of anything. It's show not tell. So yeah. if you if you're doing that, then that's good. Although, I mean, you you have to ask yourself though. Uh, surely there are like heroes and protagonists out there who are, you know, for the purposes of the book, kind of asexual if it's not mentioned. Like, mm. if you think about detective novels, I mean, I mean, obviously it depends on the detective novels. I imagine that not all of them interrelationships. A lot of them tend to be solo people who, or, or you know, like the, the the point isn't the sexuality. The point is the well, crime. not even just detective movies. Like maybe it's because I recently watched Lord of the Rings, but you know, the Fellowship of the Ring was nine people. Only two of them are proven to be straight. That's true. And obviously, Sam and Frodo, you know, very homoerotic. <laughs> Sam's one of the ones he's proven to be straight. <laughs> <laughs> sure, he is. Sure. But anyway, people do enjoy reading homoeroticness into many male friendships. Yeah. But the fact is that out of, yeah, out of sort of the nine main characters, if you include Boromir as a main character, only two of them get married and they basically just get married at the end. Just, oh yeah, here, I'm getting married to someone. (laughs) And I'm trying to think in the book, I don't think there was much romance in the book, was there? Not really. From, From memory of reading the book, both of the wives being Arwen and... I don't remember Sam's wife's name. I'm going to say Goldie. No, that's not right. Lady Hobbit. The Lady Hobbit. Who looked less like a Hobbit. Hobbit it. Um, (laughs) (coughs) Anyway. (laughs) In in the book, I don't really remember either of them. I I remember Eowyn. Actually, Eowyn's not a... She doesn't marry a member of the um, Fellowship, fellowship, but she Mm. does actually get married to a man. So... I guess her and Faramir are proven to be straight mm. because they marry each other, which is kind of weird. Like even in the movies, they just like look at each other across a crowd and that's it. <laughs> yeah, but that's I the can't... crux of a lot of romantic comedies too. Just love at first sight. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not sure they interact any more in the book than they do in the movie. <laughs> they're, they're technically in the same spot while she's pretending to be a man, and he might be unconscious. <laughs> but yeah, like the thing is. I guess we all, other than people who are making, you know, fan fiction about Frodo and Sam, we would presume that all the Fellowship of the Ring are straight. And maybe there is some later material about who they married because, you know, you're talking about family trees. Mm. But there's a lot of characters who could be asexual. Like, Mm. there's nothing sexual about them. Possibly because in certain eras there wasn't many female characters. Yes. For them to, you know be with. And the same in The Hobbit. There's, like, no women in The Hobbit. Mm. Um, so, once again, who knows? <laughs> I think, with my character, it's more... I explore the fact that they are asexual more than just, they just don't have a partner. Mm. Yeah. They're not Elsa or Frodo. Yes. See, I, um... Of, of the things I've written, I've tried to include, you know, people of different sexualities, mm-hmm. bisexuality and gay men and all that, all that kind of stuff. And I think that, 
I mean, back to one of the earlier points, I think uh, what you said was right in that it really is, it's kind of a volume problem because mm. if you, if you have a small cast, so yeah, again, Will and Grace, Friends or whatever, okay, could you make multiple characters gay? Sure. But then you might run into the problem, uh, which is kind of what Neighbours did, as I understand it, where they, they included their first gay characters ever. So of course they had to pair up. Yeah, like they just there was there was no real other option. They there's like here are two gay men. Oh look, they're in proximity to each other. The Love. only gays in the village. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I think I, I believe they they've introduced some foils and some in, not intrigue. Uh, yeah, and it might know, be a bit drama. more complicated. But to now. start off with, it was very much like here are two gay characters and together yeah. they go. Which, when it's still newsworthy to announce you have a gay character, you're probably not going to have a lot of different love interest options for them. <laughs> that's right. I think having an ensemble cast makes mm. a big difference um, because, yeah, as you said, you can kind of look at all different aspects. But if you only, if you really only want to focus on a smaller cast, and sometimes from a writing perspective, having a small number of protagonists works better from a like an intimacy point of view, from learning yeah. about them more. It, it's a hard, it's a hard balance to kind of find. I think one show that does it okay, that despite, that, that that doesn't have, like, the volume of, sort of, sexuality and gender diverse characters, is Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Raymond Holt is the captain of the precinct, uh, and from the very first episode, it's made very clear that he is gay. Uh, once again, though, played by Andre Brow, who was this very commanding, majestic black man, he doesn't really meet the stereotype, nor does his partner, actually. Kevin Cosner isn't, is... You know, a lit professor, but uh, you know, it, which it kind of makes him a little bit um, arty and a little bit snobbish. But that has nothing to do with the sexuality. You know, they 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 put him in there, but the sexuality is kind of not really a point. Like they do make a point of it on occasion. So he talks about how him being an openly um, gay black man, you know, made his rise to captainhood much slower and much more difficult, and he had to face a lot of prejudice. Uh, so every now and then they bring it up, but for the most part, it's not like every episode is about that. You just kind of learn about him and his personality yeah. and how he's kind of really out of touch with the world and um, how he's, he's very dry and witty. But that, that's it. Like, the sexuality kind of comes in next to it rather than being yeah. the dominant part of his personality. He feels like a full person. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So actually, now that I think about it more and more, I think that's, that was handled quite well. Yeah, and later they introduced a bisexual. Like they, one of the existing characters was shown to be bisexual. She was all. She was always part of her character was that people didn't know much about her. Yes. So probably um, suited that character to come out as bisexual. And I believe the reason for that uh, change was also because the actress portraying her is also bisexual. Okay. Yeah. And and look again, good on her for for pushing to for representation and wanting her character to reflect that. You know, this sort of internal lobbying and politicking in media is, is a really positive thing. And certainly, you know, taking an existing character that is quite well loved, mm. um, and introducing this other aspect of her, which people you know may may not be aware of, may not understand very well, um, just kind of helps them sort of see the character as a person. Who mm. happens to be bisexual, who happens to be gay, or whatever it may yeah. be. And they also had characters portray what it is to be confused about how to interact with someone. Yes. <laughs> but in very adorable ways. Yes. <laughs> so, I, look, I guess the, the message the message here is that there is a tokenism trap. 
and it mm-hmm. is it is one that's easy to fall into um, deliberately or not. But I but I guess the important thing is that firstly inclusion is always good. It's yes. always good to have more more gender and sexually diverse people, so long as you focus on the person first. That the the you know the introductory part part of the personality isn't just they're a gay person who happens to also be a detective, nurse, wizard. <laughs> like yeah. it's you know they they are they are a person first, mm-hmm. and then everything else is just sort of part of it. Yeah, I think the the main thing is to make them a realistic person, mm-hmm. and not you know a magical autistic person or a magical gay or a gay best friend or a sassy black best friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Make them a real person. And also, if you include more than one, it probably makes a better spectrum. Yes. <laughs> it's hard to draw a line between a single point in itself. <laughs> <laughs> and on that very nerdy note, thanks for listening. Uh, don't forget to check out our older episodes and remember to share, share, share. That way other people can find out how weird and wacky we are. Thanks for your time. We'll talk to you next time.